I'm, uh, for those who are visiting, you're really, really welcome. I'm Patrick, the vicar. And do you know what? I love it that you keep coming back, those of you that come week after week, and especially today on Easter. Now, I was contemplating, I've done a few Easter sermons in my time, and I was uh, contemplating maybe exchanging my position with yours. And if I was to do that, I wonder how you would choose to communicate Jesus is alive. I'm not going to trade my position, but have we got any takers that would want to do it? I was um, given this task, the Bible passage we got today from Luke 24, um, with our toddler's praise. So you're already struggling to communicate that Jesus is alive. Now, let me put it to you that you've got a bunch of toddlers under three and their parents in the room. And the message from Luke 24 is Jesus is alive. How would you do that? Well, I didn't have a clue. But I did spot that they had a pet bear called Max. And at the start of each session, I think Max is meant to introduce the speaker. But Max is always asleep. Anyone that's been to Toddler's Praise will know what you need to do. You need to shout, wake up, Max. Wake up, Max. Do you think we could wake Max up? Wake up, Max. You do it very, very loudly if you're in Toddler's Praise. Wake up, Max. He's yawning. I can't help doing it at the same time. Makes me feel so tired. Does anyone else yawn when someone else yawns? Oh, just realised who they are. Let, let me hide. That gave me a little idea. Because sometimes toddler's praise is a little bit lively. And I thought I'd like to encourage some of them. Have you ever played um, sleeping Lions and sleeping bunnies. So I encouraged them to do that. I thought their parents would be very grateful to have a bit of peace and quiet for a little while. So I got, tried to get them to lie down, but I only had one taker who lay down, apart from Max. So when that person lay down, I got this, because I didn't think it would scare them too much, and covered the person over and we all shouted very loudly. The parents, some of them were lying down too, actually, to sort of model this thing to the children. But wake up. Wake up. And then we cried out, Jesus is alive. I didn't think that cut it very well with some of the people there. So I had to try again for a slightly different approach and my slightly different approach, I approach Noah. And I noticed that Noah had a special toy. 
And you'll guess what this toy is called. It's Noah's Arky. We built a little cave. And I borrowed Arky and put Arky in the cave. And we opened the cave and Arky wasn't there anymore. <laughs> what? No. Arky. Thankfully, as with Easter, there's a very good end to this story. And Noah was reunited with Arky. And very happy indeed. Parents may know the panic of their child losing their very special cuddly toy. Others may be the loss of a pet. Others of a close friend. The followers of the Lord Jesus lost their closest friend and leader. But we know how the events unfolded. Jesus is alive. This week's been packed full of fat. Uh, prayer and worship events. Every evening we've had something slightly different and folks have come out. Um, retelling the story of Jesus is last week on uh, Monday, Thursday, a couple of home, Holy Communion services. Um, he even took Holy Communion out to some people at Wingham Court, I think, and maybe others as well. I don't know if any of you received communion in Wingham Court this morning, but hello if you're here present. Uh, some had suppers remembering uh, the Last Supper. On Friday, we had a walk of witness. I'm pretty much converted on this, but I've been on some very miserable walks of witness in my life. But this one is quite, um, not that it's meant to be joyful, but it just blows me away that there's so many people and of all ages giving up their time to do this. It's extraordinary. And this year, uh, last, last week at the 9.30 service, I mentioned this, and I used the big, big cross there that we follow as an illustration. I was thinking about Palm Sunday and carrying the cross, because sometimes it can look a little bit twee if we have palm crosses. But this was a real big cross that Jesus was nailed to. And I, I asked Andy, uh, who'd carried it before, to come forward. At that point, his son Joseph ran from the back of church. You'll know Joseph and he wanted to help too. And Joseph on Good Friday carried the cross. And I personally found that very moving indeed that he was leading our procession. But then when we came into church for the service, I found it incredibly moving. Richard had got us little sticks, dead sticks, representing sin and being cut off from God. And we invited, long story short, to bring these sticks and place them into a cross at the front of church. Just as a sign of us not being able to connect with God in our own strength, but on Jesus' terms. But as we did that, and pretty much everyone came forward with their stick, it was most, most moving to see one of the elderly members of our congregation 
struggle his way up here as if he was climbing a mountain to put his stick in there along with the rest. And it made me think about some of the older members of our congregation and their faithfulness. I'm a sunny day, Easter Sunday type of person and I come out on a sunny day. But these people come out, rain or shine, and some of them have been doing it for a hundred years. We can't begin to understand the potency of the resurrection without some understanding of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and his death on the cross. And we can't appreciate the potency of the cross without some understanding of the power of the resurrection. Crucifixion and resurrection must be understood together. It's such a paradox that the cross, this instrument of torture used by the Romans, is also a symbol that most reminds us of God's love. It's such a paradox that the cross, which is foolishness to people who don't appreciate its significance, is the pathway by which we discover eternal life. Many thought that Jesus' appointment with the cross would bring an end to him and his teaching. Instead, it released the ultimate power that brings eternal life. As a convicted criminal, the Romans could have denied Jesus a proper burial. This notion seems shocking, but this practice used to be more commonplace. Many will know that some Christian traditions in the past, uh, unbaptized babies were denied a burial in consecrated ground. So too criminals or those who took their own lives. We'll also know of tragic stories where there was no body to bury, like with a natural disaster, a fire, a shipwreck, a kidnap, or a murder. In this case, they had Jesus' body and thankfully were not going to deny him a respectful burial. Deuteronomy An Old Testament book, chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, states that Jewish law law clearly states that if someone guilty of a capital offense, a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who's hung on a pole, like Jesus, is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. This Old Testament law is maybe in place in part to protect themselves from being under the same curse. The events of Holy Week rapidly unfolded. In the throngs of all the alleluias, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, uh, there were no plans in place that took into account Jesus' execution 
and the need for a burial plot. I find it amazing that maybe out of respect for Jewish custom, Jesus' body was released by Pilate to be buried. Man had plans to put Jesus to death and to bring him to an end and his message. Through it, God had a greater plan to bring life to all. You might know that the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all have a slightly different perspective. I'm going to I'm going to mention all of them, but if you want to follow, I'm going to start with Luke 24. I didn't tell you a page number, but it's in the service sheet. It's what? 1061. But I'll be mentioning some of the others. It might be helpful to follow if you can. There's Bibles under the seats, but I'm going to be quoting quite a few different passages so you won't keep up. I hadn't noticed... That all four Gospels, this is until last week, a bit embarrassing, but you just sometimes, it's exciting actually. You come to Scripture, you can learn new things. There you go, there's the positive spin. But Joseph of Arimathea takes Jesus' dead body with Pilate's permission and buries him in an unused tomb. And what I didn't realize, it appears four times Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19, if you want to look it up. This tells me, if it's appeared four times, that Joseph and this event must be significant. Joseph was a Jew from Arimathea, a small village in the Judean hill country, a member of the ruling council, possibly on the Sanhedrin. He's thought to be someone of influence, of high standing, probably loads of money. Because of the link in John's gospel between Joseph and Nicodemus at Jesus' burial, many think that both of them were secret followers of Jesus. Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, verse 60, states that Joseph gave up his own tomb for Jesus. The Roman soldiers would have, been, would have had a 100% strike rate of killing people by means of crucifixion. A less than perfect outcome for the soldiers would risk severe punishment or even death for their incompetence. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verse 44, we read that Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was dead so soon and therefore checked with a centurion that Jesus was dead before releasing the body to Joseph for his burial. Luke 23, verse 56 records Galilean women watching and seeing where Jesus was buried. They went home to prepare spices, to administer to his body, but ran out of time to do it before the Sabbath. The religious authorities expected this to be the end of the Jesus story. I wonder if you can imagine the feelings of loss and separation and emptiness that Jesus' first 
followers might have felt. Maybe disappointment with themselves that they couldn't protect him. Imagine also how it must have felt, and I think it's probably a mixed emotion, to be part of the crowd, the soldiers, pilots, others, the religious authorities, who'd had their way. Jesus is dead and soon to be buried. But it wasn't the end. It reveals and opens the way for a new beginning. The different gospel accounts retell the resurrection story from different perspectives. This is a culture uh, where they were good at listening and speaking in a way that we might have lost the skill, but they passed the story on in that way one to another. There was no need for them necessarily to write it down. Even in our age of uh, smartphones and 24-7 news, editors are selective and don't always focus on or recount the same events. We know that in a court of law, you can witness the same event, but the witnesses recount that story slightly differently. Although you might get to the essence of the truth, some of the events with all our retelling are expressed differently. And the longer we leave it from, the, from when things happen, the more variation there is likely to be. Luke, in chapter 24, tells uh, that these same women, having rested for the Sabbath, became the first visitors to discover the empty tomb. Luke 24.1, say it's very early in the morning. John 21 says it's still dark. Matthew 28.1 says it's at dawn. Mark 16.2 says it's just after sunrise. But all are saying it was early in the morning and just after the Sabbath. The central truth is that Jesus is alive and many people witnessed it. Luke 24 verse 1 tells of the women coming to pay their respects and to dress Jesus' dead body with spices and perfume. They were understandably puzzled and very afraid to find the stone moved away and being greeted by two men gleaming like lightning. Verse 4, the women in their fear bowed down with their faces to the ground, verse 5. But these angels deliver the most extraordinary of messages. Verse 5, imagine hearing this. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. The angels jog their memories and reminded the women what Jesus had said when he was with them. Verse 7, that Jesus expected himself to be handed over to sinful men, that Jesus expected himself to be crucified, that on the third day Jesus expected to be raised to new life. Then the women remembered. These women then tell the apostles But verse 11, the apostles think they're talking nonsense. 
Peter can't trust their account, goes to find out for himself and visits the empty tomb, sees the strips of living, verse 12, that had been wrapped around his body, his body and was left wondering what this might mean. Recognition of Jesus' resurrection happens for different people at different times. When did you first come to believe this? If not, and you'd like to, it's never too late. Unless Jesus returns first. Luke 24, 13 records that two disciples walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They chat about recent events in Jerusalem, a little oblivious and don't recognize who Jesus is. They only recognize who Jesus is when he breaks bread with them. Luke 24, 30, when he goes When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it, giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. How does Luke's resurrection accounts compare with the other three Gospels? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, he tells of two Marys being the first to discover and believe that Jesus is alive. An angel led the women into the empty tomb. As they left, they were filled with fear and joy. They met Jesus, Matthew 28, verse 9, and worshipped at his feet. They're instructed to go and tell the disciples to go to Galilee to meet with him. In Mark's Gospel... Chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, he tells that the women simply met an angel in an empty tomb, informs them that Jesus is alive, and to tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. The next section of the Gospel according to Mark doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts, but records that Jesus first appears to Mary Magdalene, chapter 16, verse 9. Then verse 12 to two disciples walking in the country. And then verse 14 to the 11 as they were eating. John's gospel is a first-hand account which he witnessed for himself. He gives testimony to seeing with his own eyes the empty grave clothes in the empty tomb and believes. John 20 verse 8. Then John tells us that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. She recognizes him only when he uses her name, verse 16, Mary. He later appears to the disciples, John 20, verses 21 and 22, speaks his peace over them and breathes his spirit into them. Thomas hadn't been there 
And along with maybe many of us today need a little bit more convincing. He asked verse 25 and verse 27 to examine Jesus and his side before declaring verse 28 that Jesus is my Lord and my God. Although the numbers of people involved vary, both women... And angels play a vital role in all the resurrection accounts. It's safe to say that the dead and then resurrected Jesus appeared to a lot of people. They believed and went on proclaiming that Jesus had been raised to life. And that the crucified, risen Jesus is their Lord and Christ. He is the saviour of the world. As a sequel of his gospel, Luke tells in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus, after his suffering, death by crucifixion, he presented himself to them. And gave many convincing proofs that, proofs that he was alive, live, and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. In his first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells of the vital importance of the death and resurrection. Without it, Christianity is worthless, impotent, and completely pointless. 1 Corinthians 15, reading from verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ Jesus died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He then appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and at last of all, this is Paul speaking, he appeared to me also. Reading from verse 12. But if... It is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead. How can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, 
We are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we've testified, testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he didn't raise him, uh, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. We encounter Jesus and God's resurrection power through prayer. I suppose nearly everyone in this room has made that step of faith. Some of you may have made that step of faith and maybe holding on to it a little bit loosely. But be assured of this, the living Lord Jesus holds on to you. Some of you maybe never had the opportunity to hear the gospel or to respond to it. And it's a really simple thing to do, but it will cost you everything, your whole life. First, we need to recognize who Jesus is, his death and resurrection, express our faith in him. As we do so, we repent of the sins that have separated us from God and neighbor. Our sin is then dead with Christ on the cross. But we come alive in and through him and his resurrection power. We then receive God's resurrection power. It's released in us, begins to change us and transform us as the Holy Spirit is birthed in us we become beloved children of God. Back to Luke 24, verses 5 and 6. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. We won't find Jesus in the cave You'll find him alive and well in his children, in his church, and also manifest in many people and situations in the wider world. Last week I wrote to the whole church family to ask you to share the first time or a significant moment when you recognize that Jesus is alive. I recognize Jesus is alive, dot, dot, dot. Thank you to everyone who read that and considered it and thought about it. And thank you to those of you, and there's quite a few here, who responded. And I'm going to read some of the responses now. I recognise that Jesus is alive when I felt an inner peace and resolve when my prayers were answered during many difficulties 
during 2008 and 2009. I am often reminded that Jesus is alive as I get amazing answers to desperate prayers for guidance and help. I recognized Jesus is alive when my wife gave birth to our daughter, whom we named Faith. I realized that Jesus is alive when I felt extraordinary peace whilst my young daughter had an operation. I recognized Jesus is alive when I encountered the love and kindness in the face of a stranger. I have had many experiences when I recognized that Jesus is alive. In my youth, stories were often shared at church. I remember when I was inspired by belief in Jesus, their faith made a difference. A most significant moment when I knew that Jesus is alive was when I recognized a divine strength within me, certainly not my own, when my marriage failed after 33 years. That strength enabled me to truly forgive and be forgiven. And the real knowledge of the liberation that forgiveness brings from all bitterness and all that is negative. It was and is key to my survival, and I've often shared with my home group, friends, and family. I recognize Jesus is alive when on Saturday, the 11th of June, 1944, at school in Cranbrook, Kent, when about to be confirmed the following day by the Bishop of Dover, I was in the house garden reflecting on the day ahead. Jesus met with me, and I found myself in his presence into a brightness incapable of description, and the word he spoke to me, I am with you Always. I encourage us all to remember and tell your stories about the crucified, risen Jesus, the truth that He is alive. We are very much alive in Him whether we feel it or not. We pray for a greater awareness of God's presence and that his resurrection power becomes increasingly evident in all of us.